Hello everyone, welcome back to Pod Save Africa. It's February 4th and we're here with your news updates. It's your host, Akandia Adirile, and today I'm here with my senior Kenyan correspondent on Kenya, uh, James Mwakechako. James, how about you? Holla and my listeners real quick. Uh, hey folks, uh, nice to be here. Awesome, awesome. So let's get into our first story. Um, jazz legend and anti-apartheid activist Hugh Masekela has died. Um, he was a South African trumpeter, singer, and activist whose music became symbolic of the country's anti-apartheid movement. Um, his music was often in the background as the theme and as the uh, music to the you know apartheid uh, documentaries that were put out at that time for the people making their case against it. Um, he was exiled from his country for 30 years. He was a powerful singer and songwriter with a political voice. Whiskid, um, Davido. Uh, see your mates. Anyways, he was known affectionately as South Africa in South Africa as Brahu. He was born in the town of Woodbanker in 1939. Um, he learned uh, through a trumpet he was given at the age of 14 by by um, a by the respected anti-apartheid campaigner Father Trevor Trevor Huddleston. Um, he you know was exiled from the country. Um, in 1986, he, uh, in 1980, he, re he returned to Africa and settled in Botswana. In 86, he founded the Botswana International School of Music, a non-profit organization aimed at educating young African <coughs> musicians. When he, he, um, he established the Musicians and Artists Artists Assistant Program of South Africa to help South Africans battle substance abuse, something he personally struggled with. Um, Mr. Masekela was awarded the Order of Ikamanga in Gold, South Africa's highest medal of honor. He survived by his son, Sal Masekela, a daughter, Pulatwala, and his sisters, Elaine and Barbara Masekela. Yo, I said Pulatwala like perfectly. I feel like I feel like that just came out of my mouth like it was. You deserve a cookie. Thank you. I appreciate it. It means a lot. So, James, what are your thoughts on this uh, sad passing? Uh, I mean, he who not only made impact in just the music industry through jazz and his trumpet, <clears throat> he he was really a huge uh, uh, evangelist when it came to just being proud of our African heritage, our Black heritage. Mm. He came to Kenya in 2016, <clears throat> and in his interview was that he was really he made this observation whereby uh, we are raising a generation of African kids or black people who really don't know where they're from, hmm. who are not interested in actually speaking their tribal language, hmm. which which is very sad, you know. Yeah. And uh, because you know, if you extrapolate this fifty twenty hundred years from now, there will right. literally not be Maybe. tribal languages. You know, people would say this is this is like we're trying to unify, but at the same time, we're really not showcasing how rich the black culture is, you know, it's yeah. just not. Yeah. So I think that was really huge. And <clears throat> there was this, uh, I think uh, one of the pictures when he was a young kid, yeah. jumping at a trumpet, that speaks mm -hmm. so much about his passion for music mm -hmm. and, and, trump and just the trumpet and how he became really good at that, which is actually very uh, inspiring in terms of really pursuing what you're passionate about. And yeah. you could see it in his face as a young kid. I think he was, from he's like less than under fifteen years, but he was yeah. extremely passionate about about what he did, which is really really inspiring. Yeah, and you can see the product in his life, the schools and institutions he founded. That's you know, fantastic. for sure. Yeah, and speaking of black culture, it's Black History Month. Happy February, guys! Um, take the chance this year to study more on your, the history of black 
people all over the world, Africans, African-Americans, Afro-Latinas, Afro-South Americans, all forms of Afros and Africans that are out there. I think that it's important that we pay attention to our could history. You add, could you add the Afrocom? Sorry, also. Afrocom too. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 so yes, all the Afrocoms and, you know, let's, let's, you know, study our history, make sure we don't repeat the mistakes of the past and ensure that we, you know, don't let the evils that have been done to us in the past be repeated, repeated in the anyway, in any way, and so that we can avoid or tear down the evils that are being currently done to us. Those also matter. Um, so let's move on to the next story. Um, the Nigerian Senate probes the spread of Bitcoin and Ponzi schemes related to them. The Premium Times and QZ Africa report that the Nigerian Senate has asked Nigeria's central bank and other regulators to investigate the proliferation of Bitcoin and to do more to educate citizens about the dangers of cryptocurrency. Um, sounds great, actually. Uh, senators uh, urge Nigerians as well as relevant intelligence agencies to learn from the MMM saga, the Marodi Mondial Money Box. And that was a Russian Ponzi scheme that became popular in Nigeria, snapping up over 2 million users. And after a strong run during which the scheme awarded users like a 30% interest rate per month, first of all, 30% interest rates per month. Okay. Anyways, it collapsed in December 2016. And by collapse, that means they froze everything and ran away with all the money that you'd given them. <laughs> <laughs> That's collapsed is perhaps the wrong word to use. Uh, Nigeria's central bank estimates that users lost about $50 million. And in a bid to bounce back, MMM's administrators urged what was left of its user base to trade in Bitcoin rather than cash. It's unlikely that the earlier association between the Ponzi scheme and Bitcoin it's likely, rather, that the early association between the Ponzi scheme and Bitcoin tainted the cryptocurrency in the minds of many. Um, another senator uh, urged the Senate to intervene as he claimed to be an analog senator. I don't do internet banking. I like to count my money myself. I'm analog. I don't want to do digital. <sighs> that, that stressed me out wow. to read. I know, I know. Like I said, it's all esteemed. Very good. Anyway, so um, Nigerian cryptocurrencies for many have 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 offered a way to get around the various restrictions and regulations on dollar transactions over the last eighteen months by Nigeria Central Bank. Uh, for example, users will pay for services online and send payments internationally using Bitcoin since there, are, there were limits on how much Naira could be exchanged for dollars at reasonable exchange rates. Um, so this is almost kind of the blockchain kind of servicing people, but there are risks, of course. I mean, you can see the cryptocurrency value, how volatile it's been over the last couple of months. So I think it's a good thing that the senators are speaking about it, but, you know, Senate, analog senator, come on, fam. <laughs> like, like, come on, fam. Come on, fam. You just can't say things like this. Um, James, what are your thoughts? I mean, I think globally, everyone needs, there has to be like a, a very intentional uh, knowledge transfer about Bitcoin and this mm. cryptocurrency because no one really understands it. Let's be honest. It's yeah. a hype. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 uh, People are just really going by the hype. Uh, the smart people, I mean, invested early yeah. and made their money. And then now everyone comes late to the party. But they really don't understand what's driving the value. Yeah, you know? exactly. So I think I think a big thing is really trying to to really 
inform the public what what cryptocurrency does, its potential. I mean, it has potential, it but has. still, people really need to understand what they're really investing in. Yeah. Uh, but also, the, the other the other the other side of the story is people could use this to really limit or try and derail the progress that has been made in like digital money transfer mm. or just moving things to the digital world because right. i mean that really 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 improves efficiency it so it's 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 very it's very uh it's it's a balance so you really don't have to you really have to uh push digital like push things to be really digitized because i mean that really helps with efficiency corruption and all that yeah. at the same time you have to uh, inform the public of the dangers of like moving things to the digital space because i mean yeah. they're, they're they're really they're really they are they're there. so yeah, yeah. yeah some people so, yeah. like to count their money with their hands um, <laughs> anyways yeah. that guy must spend a lot of time because i hear what senators earn and <laughs> you have to count oh, and, 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 and watching their what's in their house you're yeah, right precisely and their servants quarters too yep so. yep 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 we know those stories anyways um the next one is <laughs> china rejects Claim that it's bugged the headquarters it's built for the African Union. China at the African Union dismissed on Monday a report that Beijing had bugged the regional bloc's headquarters, which it built and paid for in the Ethiopian capital. French newspaper Le Monde quoted anonymous African Union sources saying that data from computers in the Chinese built building had been transferred nightly to Chinese servers for five years. After the hack was discovered a year ago, the building's IT system, including servers, including servers, were changed. And according to Le Monde, during a sweep for bugs after the discovery, microphones were also found hidden in desks and walls, the newspaper reported. The $200 million headquarters was fully funded and built by China and opened to great fanfare in 2012. It was seen as a symbol of Beijing's thrust for influence in Africa. First of all, thrust is such a strange word. I just, it makes me so uncomfortable. I, I, okay. All right, let's move on. And what, what, what word should be used? Right, so, okay. Beijing's uh, push for <laughs> influence in Africa. You've not I, helped. I've tried, okay. Push for influence. Beijing's uh, movements for influence in Africa and access to the continent's natural, natural resources. As in the Ethiopian capital, China's investments in rural and rail infrastructure are highly visible across the continent. At the 2015 summit in South Africa, President Xi Jinping pledged $60 billion in aid and investment to the continent, saying it will continue to build roads, railways, and ports. China's, Chinese and African officials who were in Addis Ababa for the Bloc's annual summit denied Le Monde's report. Um, the China's ambassador, ambassador to the AU, Kuang Weilin, called the article ridiculous and preposterous and said its publication was intended to put pressure on relations between Beijing and the continent. China-Africa relations have brought about benefits and lots, a lot of opportunities. Africans are happy with it, others are not. Hmm. Dun, dun, dun. Well, <coughs> so is this story far-fetched, by the way? You know, is, is this something that is clearly fake news? Or is this one of those things that is, you know, it's like, you know. Uh, I mean, that's oh, a tough one, honestly. It, you know, if someone, they say there's not, there's nothing for free. So if yeah, they get offered to, 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 uh, to build that thing for free, they do something in hand. So, I mean, I don't have enough information to really tell you this thing, if the 
building was bugged or not. Yeah. But but think about it, like 2017 budget for the African Union was 781 million dollars, yeah, right? Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. African countries as a whole contributed only 37 percent of the budget. Yeah. True. So I mean, if you think about it, right? That's so true. the other 63 percent was was funded Funny. by foreign donors. So mm-hmm. like we cannot even fund our own houses. Yeah. You know? Like think about it, like yeah. cannot, so <laughs> do we really own our own houses? The African Union really, really an African houses, entity. Yeah. Wow, no. that's a profound so, thought right there. So that that that's a big one. So that's something I guess for us, whether it's true or not, I think it just yeah. speaks to the fact that as Africans, we really need to to really learn to be self sufficient. You know? Yeah, we really need to take care of our own destiny and really mm. chart our own uh, our own course. Mm. Because because at the same time, I mean, like everyone, every country will fight for its own interest. Every every region will fight for its that own interest. True. So I mean, China just didn't buy, did, didn't. They didn't do you know, it for out of free. benevolence. Out right. of benevolence, they're like, okay, you know, we love Africans so much, we're yeah. just gonna build them a house. Yeah. China is not like China is not our husband, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. they yeah. definitely wanted something in return. Um, so I All don't know right. what that is. Hmm. So, but still, I think that's like for, yeah. for me the main takeaway. But bet that they're going to have a hell of a lot of leverage when they come asking. That's for that's sure. My for sure. That's the same like, okay, yeah. well, we yeah. build like everything. So. I mean, like, so, that is just the African Union building, but just imagine how much road, like, I mean, for example, yeah. I can speak in Kenya, for instance, the road, the railway, mm. it's pretty much Chinese funded, you know, they, right. they fund, they give you the loan to build the road, and they tell you what contractor to to to, to, yeah. to bring on, yeah. and, and that's definitely a Chinese contractor, yeah. so honestly, yep, yep, this, is a, this is a new form of, like, uh, Colonialism. Yep, neocolonialism. Like yeah. This is this is pretty much. Kwame Nkrumah warned us. So. He warned us. He told us. Now colonialism yep. was going to come around in a second in a second wave through neocolonialism through the leveraging yeah. of capital and money. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, they, they make the uh, the claim that oh, we are empo- employing Africans. Yeah, but not. If you think about how many African like civil engineers are in such contracts, right. very few. Like very we, we, we're yeah. we're doing that in the manual labor. Yeah. Or yeah, things that really don't really yeah. hold yeah. so much water. Yeah. So and there's no tr- knowledge transfer involved. There's no knowledge Zero. transfer agreement. So we can't even maintain the things they built for. So it's almost creating a perpetual cycle of money for their people. Right. Um, and Correct. of course, they're thinking long term, and we aren't quite enough. Yes, um, it's, it's it's rather sad. It's rather unfortunate. But I mean, we could. You know, I think I'm, I'm glad we're talking about these things and we can really involve, like, the listeners to, like, yeah, how, how does this really, how do we chart a new way mm-hmm. forward? How do we become self-sufficient yeah. as a co- continent? Yeah. And those are very particular arguments to have and the answers may not be answers that people like. That's just the truth about it. Um, that is very true. All right. So our next story up is Liberia's new president, George Weah. Shout out. To George West, <laughs> so, so, hey, from, to go from a soccer player to the president of your country, fam, goals ain't going back. I think we goals. should we should actually we should have a, a podcast specifically, specifically just dedicated to George West. The rise, like his life, is fascinating. It is unbelievably fascinating. I think I think yeah. I'm going to find somebody who knows a whole lot about him and, and have that discussion. Yes, that would be a very good one. So uh, Liberia's George West slashes his salary and vows to change racist constitution. Um, Judge Weir has pledged to cut his own salary by a quarter during a nationwide address in which he warned of tough times ahead for a broke country. Damn, he said, he said librarians is, blo- is broke. Wow. Weir has promised a crackdown on endemic corruption as he was sworn in a week ago to the chairs of thousands of exuberant supporters 
crammed into a stadium in the capital, Monrovia. He also pledged to scrap the law that prohibits foreign, foreigners owning, owning land. Weir described these clauses as unnecessary, racist, and inappropriate. Other communities, like the estimated 4,000 Lebanese people who have lived in Liberia for generations, are barred from citizenship and, by extension, land ownership. <sighs> Thoughts, James? Well. Good, bad. Nice, nice, nice incoming words from the new presidents, as they always give us. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's too early to tell what's going to happen. Because, I mean, the, the current Kenyan president, apparently they cut their, they cut their salaries. Oh, really? but, <laughs> so I mean, does it even? Yeah. It really doesn't trickle down. Yeah. So we can only just we can we can wait. We'll have to wait. I don't yeah. know how long. We, we don't really we don't really care whether or not you cut your salary. Do your work. Like do do your do work. The, yeah, I mean, that's 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 uh, the main point. Yeah, you yeah. can you can earn ten million dollars a year for we care. But as yeah. long as services are being provided and people really get what it is, they they really deserve and and the government really serves the people. Who put them in office? Okay. That's that's we can only tell four years, six years down the line. So right. for now, it's I mean it's good hype, you know. Yeah, it's good hype. It's, it's a it's nice good hype, positive but... tone to start off the presidentship on. And uh, ah, all right, let's go. Let's get into our main story of the of the evening. Um, one who for which I am quite excited for, but uh, it's also quite a uh, higgy haga, a uh, crankum crankum, as some have, yeah. uh, some some would. You know, say uh, Kenya's opposition swears in Raila Odinga as the people's president. James, I want to read the story, but I just kind of want you to just talk, please. What's happening? Yeah, what's really so, going on here? So, y'all have two presidents to... right now. <laughs> so, I'll give a back prop actually what happened. So, okay. funny, so funny thing is, but I think on Tuesday or Wednesday, if you search on Twitter. Okay. President of Kenya, okay, two yeah. shows. Yeah, you see two like, people. <laughs> you see two people, like, and and they had the same Twitter handle, like the same Twitter description. Oh, really? President of the really? Republic of Kenya, oh, Raila Amala Odinga, President of the Republic of Kenya, Uhuru Kenyatta. So it was actually comical, but like, that's after that point. But like, this what happened in August of last year, mm-hmm. August 8th, mm-hmm. Kenyans went to the poll to, yeah. to vote, uh, ex- exercise their. They're right, right. Mm-hmm. to 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 choose uh, who's going to lead them for the next five years, mm-hmm. and that election happened, and Uhuru was declared president. That's but right. the opposition, so we have we have two people here. We have Uhuru Kenyatta, mm-hmm. and we have Raila Odinga. So yeah. Uhuru Kenyatta won the two. Uh, the electoral commission declared him president, Ooh, the president. in the August eighth poll. Elections, right. Uh, Raila Odinga and the opposition went to court in uh, also in conjunction with some, with some civil society uh, organization. Mm-hmm. And the Supreme Court annulled the August 8th election, saying mm-hmm. that it was marred by a lot of irregularities. Right. So this, for the first time, I think in the history of Africa, of course, history of African politics, yeah. the Supreme Court annulled a general election result, result, which is, I mean, it was a landmark. Yeah, um, that's a big deal. Ruling, it was a really, it was a, I mean, I think it spoke a lot about how progressive the, yeah. the, the judiciary uh, is. The, yes, and how, like, independent it is and mm-hmm. how they really stuck to the rule of law and the constitution. Mm-hmm. So that was, that happened, and they set a new date mm-hmm. for an election, I think that was October 26th. Right. So that was a month and a half from the August eighth election. They'll mm-hmm. have to have a, a new, a fresh election. Yeah. 
but in the course right before the election, mm-hmm. Raila Odinga decided to sit out the October 26th election saying that he won the August 8th election okay. and the, the October 26th election will just be huh. the, like the Electoral Commission will commit, will commit the same crimes and they will Again. rig the election just as yeah. they did in the August in the August one. Change, what, what are we supposed yeah, to do? Yeah, so, so, yeah, so, so, and I mean, so he sat out. And mm-hmm. Uhuru won by over ninety percent of the votes. Well, I mean, <laughs> so actually, it was comical. Actually, you're running because... against yourself, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Uh, but this time, the court did not actually annul the election. They actually upheld it. Okay. And Uhuru was sworn in as the president. Hmm. But uh, after that was done, Raila and the opposition said. So Raila said, "Okay, the court has decided to uphold this election." Mm-hmm. I believe I was a rightful winner of the August 8th election. Mm-hmm. And I will swear myself and my vice president in okay. as a people's president. The, what's the other president? Uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> that, is a, that is an extremely good question. Oh, um, man. But... Uh, you know, as a people's president, so yeah, and it that seems, was it seems like it seems like it was a big deal. Apparently, the government lawyers called the opposition ceremony as treasonous and then allowed allowed the the party of the um opposition and they called and the interior minister called it an organized criminal group and then they even caught they caught live tra- transmission of the country's top three three channels to prevent uh-huh. coverage think, of the think... inauguration. That was a big thing because, I mean, Kenya has been known as a very progressive country in Africa, like in terms of press freedom. Yeah. And this was the first time ever in Kenyan history, actually, that. So the government said you should not stream the swearing in. Mm-hmm. And he, it warned all the major television stations. Oh, wow. But I mean, and the television stations did as they should. I mean, the the, the role of the press is. Press is the third estate, right? So the press just reports what's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they streamed it. A few minutes into the streaming, the government sent police mm-hmm. to the to, to where like ah. all the pro, pro, uh, the broadcast houses and they cut off right. uh, connection. And so there's literally no like if you go to Kenyan houses mm-hmm. now, there's no television. Wow. The only channel ah. is, the, is the state controlled state-controlled mm-hmm. uh, television station. That's the only one. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's two. I'm sorry. There are two. And they're both state-controlled state controlled. television. Okay. No. And the second one is actually owned by Uhuru Kenyatta's family. Oh. <laughs> Same difference. So, <laughs> so, so, so it's, a, it's a very interesting... Uh, it's a very, And I think it's very sad because not only did they do that, yeah. they also s- sent police to try and arrest journalists. Oh, wow. So, so you know, I think... The problem with all that is, if the government really feels that they were legitimately uh, elected, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think such moves really put that trust into question. Because if if, if you think you have the trust of the people and you yeah. have the mandate from the people, you shouldn't you shouldn't really go ahead and intimidate not only the opposition but you also intimidate the media, which is a big thing. Yeah. Uh, so for for the last four days now, mm-hmm. no television. 
from the main three stations, which is NTV, Jeez. National TV, Television, right. KTN, which is Kenya, uh, tele- uh, yeah, Kenya Television that, Network, that doesn't and also Citizen well TV. Right. It doesn't. It really doesn't. It doesn't. So Freedom of press is important. Yeah, the question is, as uh, Raila, as the people's president, what's his role? You know. Mm. So we'll we'll wait and see because this thing is just as fresh as it it's, it's very fresh. It just yeah. happened. It's never like there's no rule book about yeah, no, it. Yeah. Sonia as the people's president, this is your role. This is your role. What does you that know? mean? Like, yeah, that's so. And then he, I mean, he saw himself, and I don't. Did any judge? I, you know. I didn't so have... there were lawyers in his camp. And okay. actually, so the lawyers actually saw him in. Saw him in, okay. Uh, and and the lawyers who were not were both lawyers and members of parliament from okay. his uh, opposition side were oh. arrested. Wow! After swearing him in. Jeez, Louise. So the the government has actually branded the opposition so as a terrorist. resistant movement, as okay. a terrorist organization. Hey. You know. So it's 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 wow. very it's very 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 sad because the courts actually ordered. The government to reopen the the television stations, really? but the government, refused? yeah, the government refused to wow. uh, act on the so wow. so the constitution. So you know, if on the one hand you can't tell the opposition you should respect the constitution, and on the other hand, and then not uh, you respect just, the constitution. Court, yeah. yeah, so it's, it's a lot of double standard. Yeah, jeez. Uh, and I so, imagine but, for Raila now, like one moment you're only for president, the next moment you're Boko Haram. Like what, Jesus? Like yeah. We really hope he doesn't get there because, I mean, we hope he doesn't turn militant. Hmm. Um, because, I mean, Kenya has never had that before, and I really don't. Hmm. I really hope he doesn't go there because the main thing is politicians are politicians. They will never suffer. The, pe- hmm. the people who suffer are the people at the bottom, the people, the poor yeah, people. That's true. That's so true. those are the ones who bear the most brunt of any, any such move. So, what would be the so, ideal outcome now? Ooh, wow. That's a question. That's an. Uh, the ideal outcome. Mm-hmm. I would say dialogue. You know that would be a good start. You know, okay. the government sits down with the opposition. Mm-hmm. I mean, and decide what to do because there's a. You see, the government cannot go on uh, ignoring what's happening. You know, right. the right. government. There's 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 almost fifty percent of the of the population which doesn't acknowledge the current government. The current, like 50, the actual government, so it's like a fifty-fifty yeah. split for it's, it's, it's very, it's very close. It's Jeez. actually yeah, fifty-fifty split. So, so Oof. by and large, you you cannot really, you cannot really ignore the other. Yeah, 50%. you can't just ignore. You really say, cannot. Man, they're jokers. Wow. No, no, no. So, so and then, and it's funny because Raila Odinga and Uhuru Kenyatta have a very long political history. Right. So Uhuru Kenyatta. Uhuru Kenyatta's father, Jomo Kenyatta, was actually the first president of okay. the Republic of Kenya yeah, in 1963. Right. Huh. Raila Odinga's father, Jaramogi yeah. Oginga Odinga, actually was poised to be the president. Oh, wow. But what he did, he said, I will not take the office of the president until Uhuru Kenyatta's, Uhuru Kenyatta's father, Jomo Kenyatta, is released from prison. Oh, wow. So they have wow. actually, and, and so he, so Uhuru Kenyatta, that move actually necessitated Uhuru Kenyatta's father, Jomo Kenyatta, to be released from prison and for him to take over oh, the wow. office of the president. Wow. And he appointed uh, Jaramogi Oginga Odinga as a vice president of the republic. So he, his father wow. was the first president and, and Raila Odinga's father was, was the first, first vice, vice president. president. Wow. And now so, everything. Yeah. So wow. it's, uh, it is such uh, yeah. an interesting... That's such uh, a... 
But I tell you, it was very funny. It was very funny on Wednesday looking on Twitter and you see two presidents, see two presidents in Kenya. So. Literally, like, what is happening? President or the president. It almost seems like a bickering of, you know, two big children, but it's yep. it could have very yep. serious consequences. I mean, shit. It, 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 it did, because, I mean, the economy is going to take a hit. I mean, the That's unemployment, right. especially of young people, is something that people don't talk about. Right. Two things people don't talk about in Africa. Unemployment, I mean, yeah. we don't talk about it enough, unemployment of young people yeah. and the debt ratio. The debt ratio is hmm. huge. And yeah. I think, like, that's why we, we talk about China mm-hmm. funding so many projects in Africa. That's people, all like, yeah. African countries are just <clears throat> drowning in debt. Yeah. And, you know, they take they keep taking on more and more debt. It's easy yeah. to take debt, you know? Right. It's hard but, to pay it off. If your countries aren't yeah. producing from that debt, are, they, you know, is it, are you able to manage your debt? Are you able to pay it back off? Because debt yeah, is not like, necessarily the bad thing. It's your ability to pay it off. You know, if all the, exactly. Yeah, for the money. A funny statistic that uh, I, I think I checked a year or two ago. Okay. Every Kenyan-born baby comes into the world with about three hundred dollars in debt. Wow. They have to pay, you know, like. Yeah, we've done everything. The, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, you're born into debt. You know how people from the world will say you're born into sin. In Kenya, you're born not only born into sin, but you're born into debt. So. Why you're born? You have to come out. Angry, angry, you can't impress. Like, why? <laughs> what made you think that was a good idea? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so it's 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 very it's very sad. Um, yeah. yeah okay. But these are developing stories. So it is. It there's is. so much to be done. Yeah. There's so much to be reported about actually yeah. next week. And trust that we at Pot Save Africa will keep you posted in all things. Yeah. Correct. Uh, Correct. Oh, awesome. Awesome. All right. So we have two final stories. Um, the first one is Nigeria's blood delivery startup is attracting investors to a fuels expansion. Um, LifeBank, a startup that delivers blood, uh, started in 2016 with the hopes of automating and standardizing the process of finding and transporting blood. But while it has predominantly worked with private sector fa- fa- uh, partners, the startup hopes to use its new $200,000 seed funding to work with government-run institutions. So pivoting from uh, private institutions, which I would imagine are private hospitals, uh, private sector institutions that do um, corporate responsibility work, to now trying to work with government-run institutions, of course, which are the mass of you know people who have the need um, in, in this in this particular sector. So that's a little bit of good news, James. Any thoughts? Hmm. I think a government a government and a private sector uh, partnership have done very well. Yep. is extremely 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 uh, valuable because on yep. the one hand the government has the data and the machinery private mm. sector has like the drive and to do things very quickly yeah so if it can be done well yeah i, I think agree. Be very, i agree yeah. um and then the next one is a the final story for this evening is that a new pan-african fund will give a boost to francophone africa's fledgling startups um uh, Partek Ventures, a Silicon Valley-based venture capital, capital firm, has launched an Africa-focused fund, which will look to provide early-stage funding to promising startups and founders on the continent. The fund has raised $70 million of its $100 million target, making it one of the largest Africa-focused funds. Um, it is backed by French blue-chip corporate partners with a strong footprint in Africa, like Orange, Edinred, uh, JC Doe, uh, Holding, and BPI France. Uh, French investment uh, French investment banks as well as multilateral financiers. 
our new fund plans to differentiate itself by not limiting operations to just the big wigs like Kenya, Nigeria, and South Africa. Um, they are trying to help you know, countries, Francophone countries like Cote d'Ivoire, Senegal, Cameroon, um, and other countries that have smaller startup spaces like Ghana, Tanzania, and um, Uganda. So this is kind of good news for, for other parts of Africa. The wealth is being spread a little bit more. Um, and I think it's, it's pretty awesome. What are your thoughts, James? Yeah, this is this is actually uh, long overdue, and I think yeah, yeah. I think many many startups will will benefit because I mean it's true. Not all like development does happen just in Nigeria, Kenya, and South Africa. There's yeah. so much that happens in, in the other economies that really uh, could benefit from this. Yeah. So, yeah, lots of countries is, we have. We have a lot of countries. We have 54. So I think 55. 55. Oh, yes, yes, yes. That's true. That's true. Um, so, yeah, it's important that the wealth is being spread around. Um, those are my final. Those That's the final story for today. Uh, James, do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners? No, I think uh, just the main thing is shout out to Ken for really being consistent with <clears throat> with uh, keeping us uh, in a... Uh, abreast with the news which is huge and also just for the listeners thank you for keeping us alive and thank you james for coming on i always appreciate you stepping it uh both on and if you were unable to make it today so um we, i really appreciate you joining me for the news and giving us your insights on the uh fascinating and uh pivotal situation pivotal that's a key word pivotal situation in kenya at this point in time and we hope things uh play out in the best way possible at all uh, parties involved act with as much reason and as much empathy as possible, um, being keenly aware of the potential consequences if they don't. Um, shout out to everybody who listens to this podcast. We really appreciate your listening and your time. Um, follow us on Twitter at PodSaveAfrica at Gmail at, <laughs> at PodSaveAfrica with a zero. Sorry. Our email is PodSaveAfrica at gmail.com. Feel free, feel free to hit us up for interviews, for additional information regarding things we us. Um, and, you know, we just thank you guys. You have a wonderful day, everyone. And goodbye. Happy